Matthew 26, verses 57 through 75. It says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, all, before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now when we left off last week, we saw that the Jewish council had gathered in the middle of the night in order to convict Jesus of crimes worthy of death. They did this because they would rather that Jesus die than they, they lose their position or their nation. I'm going to say that to you again, and I want you to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 11 to remind you of where we left off last week. Go to John chapter 11. They did this because they'd rather Jesus die than they lose their position or their nation. In John chapter 11, look at verses 45 through 53. John chapter 11, verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, this was raising Lazarus from the dead, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now look closely at what they said. If we let Jesus keep doing this, the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. They were worried about their nation, but they were even more worried about the position that they had been given. The religious leaders, even though they weren't in charge fully, because Rome ultimately was in charge, they still had some authority and some power. And folks, let me just, just say this quickly. I have been pastor long enough to know there, our churches are full of these kind of people. They act like they're more concerned with the whole church, but they're really more concerned with their own power in their position. But before we go and look at them, 
I want you to allow God to speak to you about who you are. Which is more important to you? Are you willing as well to reject Jesus to keep your position in this world? Are you more concerned with God's agenda in this world, or are you more interested in preserving America? Now, I'm going to just take you somewhere that some of you may not want to hear. I'm going to show you from Scripture that the Bible teaches that in the very, very last days, if America exists, we're going to be like all the other nations that are against Israel. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. Now, I don't want you to jump into any conclusions before we get to where we're going to go tonight with this. But I want you to just follow along and let the Lord and His Word speak. In Zechariah chapter 12, look at verses 1 through 3. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And on that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. If America even exists at that point, at this point in the tribulation period, if America is still one of the nations of the earth, the Bible says all the nations of the earth will be gathering against Israel to fight against Israel at that point. Now listen closely. A few weeks ago we heard this. God's word is true. God's word is sure. And what God says is going to happen is going to happen no matter how strongly you feel otherwise. Go to Ezekiel chapter 12. But Jim, doesn't the Bible say if his people will pray and seek his face, then he'll heal from heaven? Well, that's true. But go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Sorry, chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. No, I was right. Ezekiel 14, verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 12. Listen closely to what God says here. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in that nation or in that, in that land, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. Now, if I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they ravage it and it be made desolate so that no one may pass through because of the beasts, even if these three men were in it, remember the men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither their sons nor daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword again upon that land and, let, and I say, let a sword pass through the land. And if I cut off from it man and beast, though these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I send pestilence, that's plague, diseases, into that land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut off from it man and beast, even if Noah and Daniel and Job were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. Now, let me just get this across. When God determines that it's time for a judgment to come on a nation, and He said it's time, pray all you want. What God has said is true, and it's sure, and it's going to happen no matter how strongly you feel differently. Now again, don't jump to any conclusions. Stick with me here. We can't stop what's going to happen to America. But we can slow the decay. We're to be salt and light in this world. But listen... 
We're salt and light by speaking the truth of God's word, not by purporting a political party. You see, you would, well, this political party is more righteous than the other political party. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that political party is going to be the solution. You see, God wants to use his people. If we've lost our saltiness, what good are we? I'm not saying the church should just sit back and do nothing because, hey, America's going to go bad and it's just going to go bad. But I'm saying to you is this. You need to be seeking God how he would have you live as salt and light, what it looks like for you in obedience to him. And don't put your faith in a political party or a political movement to turn things around. Be willing to stand for truth and to speak the word of God. Now, let me just give you some bad news. Go to Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Folks, the Bible's really clear that when God gives over a nation, it's manifested in these types of sins. And is that not America? Years ago, someone said that if God didn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that doesn't mean that we quit because we're still here. We're to be salt and light. We're to speak the truth, but in love. I actually have a couple of guys that live next door to me who are homosexual and we love them. We, they know we love them. We care about them. But that doesn't mean what they're doing is right in the eyes of God. Yet, what God wants to do is have us be willing to let him speak through us and live his life through us in the way that we're gentle and peaceable and kind and loving. And it's the spirit of God who brings conviction. In John chapter 16, Jesus said in verse 7, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit won't come. Listen in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of their sin. 
their need for righteousness and the fact that there's a coming judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of their sin. Our job is not to go out and tell people they're horrible sinners and convict them of their sin. Our job is to live as light in such a way that as we shine as light, the obvious difference between us and them will be known and the Spirit of God will be able to show them and to speak to them. If they ask us, we'll say, here's what the Word of God says, but at the same time, we also don't put our hope in a political party. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. But unfortunately, right now in America, especially, a lot of Christians are starting to put their hope in a certain agenda or a certain political movement or all this. You pray, you speak the truth, you live it out, but don't think for a second that God's going to use a political movement to fix America. The Bible says that America eventually will no longer be a godly nation if we're even that now, which I lean toward the fact we're not. I think God's already given us over. Now, does that mean we just give up? No, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We tell people about Jesus and his righteousness that is only received by faith. We tell them of his soon return to judge the world, but we don't put our hope in a political movement. That's only temporary. What God does is eternal. Go to John chapter 18. Look at verses 33 through 38. John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus to him and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Don't miss that. My servants, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Boy, isn't that what the attitude of the world is today? Who, what's truth? Who determines what's truth? What's true for you may be not true for me, but everybody can have their own truth. If they're all different kinds of truth, the word truth has lost its meaning. But what did Jesus say? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And folks, some of you are getting enraged and upset about what's going on. And you're focusing too much on the news and what's happening. And you're taking your eyes off of the fact that we are not of this world. Don't get so caught up in trying to save your position in your nation. I'm going to go down another road that I really want you to listen to very carefully. When I said to you last week, Jesus told Peter to put his sword down, because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Some people might come and say, well, are we allowed to have guns? Are we allowed to defend ourselves? Listen, you need to make sure that you are living your life in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and how he would have you live out what it means to follow him. Listen closely. For some, he may say to you, Get guns and protect yourself. For others, he may say, I don't want you to. I want you to depend on me. We think automatically that what God told you is what he's going to tell everybody. And if you go with me in your mind, and we're going to deal with this when we get to our study of Daniel, you'll notice that when God was bringing the judgment on Israel because of their sin, and he was carrying them off into captivity in Babylon, God told some Jews, you go to Babylon, you go into captivity, I'll prosper you and I'll bless you there in that nation. He told others like Jeremiah, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. 
So which is it? They would go to Babylon or they would go to Jerusalem? What God was saying to each was what they were supposed to do. And to the ones that were staying in Jerusalem, he said, don't go down to Egypt. You just stay there and watch how I take care of you. Of course, a lot of those people didn't listen to God either and all. But listen, he told Daniel, and well, Daniel didn't have a whole lot of choice, but he told uh, other prophets and others, he said, look, go into Babylon and I'll take care of you. The king was told that as well. Yet Jeremiah was told, you stay in Jerusalem with the people that are left behind. So we think what God's told me is what everybody else should be doing. No, don't go down that road. Whatever it means to walk with the Lord in obedience to him and what he's shown you in your walk, you do that. And you don't try to become the Lord of the people around you. You let the Lord show them. Let me take you there real quick. Go to Romans chapter 14. The last thing we need right now is this country is being torn apart with division. It's for the church to follow suit. In Romans chapter 14, we'll start in verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. Why? So that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So, folks, how this all plays out for you in your walk with the Lord, you better be convinced in your mind what you're doing is what God has said. James says, anything not done by faith is sin. But don't fall into the trap of being so sure of what God's told you that that's what everybody else is supposed to be doing. You've heard me say over and over, most of the time when we see in the scriptures people saying, Lord, look what they're doing wrong, that person was wrong. And so, in James chapter 1, verse 19, the scripture says, let us all be slow to speak. Quick to listen. For man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. The scripture, remember, Jesus turned to Peter last week and he said, Don't you realize I have the authority and my father's got the power to send 12 legions of angels to stop this if he wanted to? This is what he says next. But how then would scripture be fulfilled that says it must be so? So, do we know when? America is going to either cease to exist or will turn against Israel? No. And we're to pray that that doesn't happen in our day. But we also pray knowing that one day it will happen. And you're not going to change it. It doesn't matter who comes into power or who's elected. Eventually, Scripture will be fulfilled. So, don't spend more time focusing on keeping your nation that you take your eyes off of the Lord and you reject Jesus yourself. Notice in our story back in Matthew 26 how they had false witnesses come and witness against Jesus and, and, his, and during this trial, and nothing could stick. Did you notice that? Go back and look at Matthew 26, verse 58. It says that Peter was following at a distance. We'll come back in a little bit of that. As far as the courtyard of the high priest, and inside he sat with the guards to see the end. 
Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. And at last two of them came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Of course, the high priest comes up and says, You have anything to say to that? Do you have anything to say? And Jesus doesn't speak. We'll get to when he does speak in just a second. I hope you grasp this. They had lined up all these false witnesses and nothing stuck to Jesus. Even if you lined up false witnesses against me, there probably might be some things that stick. You, you, you throw a dart at some sins, you're probably going to find one or two that I'm guilty of. Because Jim Johnson's not sinless. But Jesus was and is. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 5. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 5 says this. Sorry, 15. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. What's the rest of the verse? Yet without sin. You all know 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. When they set up this false trial, this phony trial to convict him, they couldn't find anything against him. There was nothing that they could find that he had done that was guilty, even not only of death, of any sin in, in general. They even tried twisting Jesus' words about his body being destroyed and raised in three days. That's what he was talking about. And they twisted it and said that he was going to destroy the temple of God. Go to Mark chapter 14 real quick, and we'll see Mark's account. In Mark 14, verses 53 through 65, you'll see he helps us with a little bit more detail. In Mark 14, verses 53 and following, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance. There we see it again, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. By the way, that's not what he said. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Go to John chapter 2 and look at verses 18 through 22 and see with me what Jesus actually said. These words that they were taking and twisting. In John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, we see the actual account of what happened. In John chapter 2, verse 18, he's just cleaned the temple out. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? 
But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. All Jesus said was, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. But he was talking about this temple, his body. They thought he was talking about the temple of God. And even though he wasn't talking about the temple of God, and the physical temple that was there, they said, his man said he was going to destroy God's temple. But if you remember from Mark's account, even the people that were accusing him of saying he would destroy God's temple, didn't, their testimony didn't even agree. And they had nothing on him. So the high priest makes Jesus answer under oath. Go back to Matthew 26. And look at verse 63. I will start in verse 62. The high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it these, that these men testify against you? By the way, why do you think Satan's wanting Jesus to speak? To twist his words. By the way, this has been his M.O. from the beginning. You go back to the garden and Satan twists the words of God. Remember, God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden. Just don't eat of this one tree. Satan comes to Eve and says, is it really true that God said you can't eat from any tree of the garden? is isn't even close to what he said. It's almost the exact opposite of what he has said. But he got her to take the bite, the bait, and the bite. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. He said, we can eat of any tree. We just can't. Oh, you won't really die. Next thing you know, he's got her going down that road. You know what? We love to show how much we know. We all love to show how much we know. And the longer I get older... I realize the less I know. Because even the phrase, the longer I get older, doesn't make sense. <laughs> so the high priest comes to Jesus and he says, are you not going to say anything? By the way, you'll hear Pilate later on when we get to Pilate in our study saying the same thing to Jesus. Aren't you going to say something? And Jesus doesn't answer. I mean, you guys are going to do what you're going to do anyway. You don't need my help. And then he says, I adjure you by the living God, you have to answer. He made him swear under an oath. Now, wait a minute, Jim. Didn't we study earlier in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus said, don't ever swear by an oath? Well, you're about to see, if you remember from our study, that Jesus was never, wasn't saying that it's never right to, to swear by an oath. Because there have been years, people over the years that when they go into court and you're supposed to put your hand on the Bible and swear by God and His Word that you'll tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but, you know, nothing but the truth, so help you God. There have been some people that wouldn't do that because Jesus said you're never to take an oath. That's really not what He said. Because the Scripture shows that God Himself has taken oaths many times. Let me just give you two. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Let me show you one. So Jesus is not wrong in responding here because the high priest commanded Him under oath to speak. In Hebrews chapter 6, look at verses 13 through 18. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, goes on. So here we see, keep reading, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So here we see God himself swore by an oath when he made the promise to Abraham. I swear by my own self. I will keep what I said. I will keep my promise. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 29 through 31. Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 31. Peter's preaching and he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he therefore he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not to abandon to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So in other words, he says, David wrote about the fact that the promised one would not see corruption, that he would die, but he wouldn't rot. And David knew that God had sworn to him on an oath that his descendant of his would sit on the throne. So is it wrong to take an oath? No. Then why then, go back with me to Matthew chapter 5, why then does Jesus say what he says here in Matthew 5? Well, you'll see in just a second as we compare Matthew 5 and James chapter 5 together, how it all kind of comes together. In Matthew 5, look at verses 33 through 37. Jesus said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Keep that in your mind. Jump with me to James chapter 5. Look at verse 12. James chapter 5, verse 12. James says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So what's he saying here? Well, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 and in James 5 is tied to telling the truth. See, some would lie and swear an oath to try to deceive their hearers. By the way, you're going to see that later on in our study tonight. Maybe you've already, some of you have already seen it in the passage we've already read to you. Some would lie and swear an oath to try to deceive their hearers. But if your yes always means yes and your no always means no, you don't need to swear an oath. If you feel like you need to say, I really mean it this time, What does that say about the other times? Now, here's an interesting thing. God doesn't need to swear by an oath, swear an oath either. But because man is so quick not to trust God, God many times had to emphasize his absolute honesty in what he said. How many times did Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you? Was he saying, truly, truly, I say to you? Because the other times he wasn't being honest. What's the difference between Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, and you and I saying, truly, truly, I say to you? What's the difference between God swearing an oath and you and I swearing an oath? He can keep it. He can't lie. So he, when he says it, it's just for emphasis so that you would listen and believe. 
But when we try to add to our yes and our no, it usually comes from evil because we have in the past maybe not been a man or a woman of our word. Folks, that's one thing I strive to be. Because, you know, by the way, that's what the Bible really describes as taking the name of God in vain. See, we thought taking the name of God in vain was using God's name as a cuss word. No, when you, as a representative of Jesus Christ, as a representative of God, as a child of the King, do one thing or say one thing and do another, you've taken his name in vain. You don't represent him for who he is. And folks, the only way we're going to get good at letting our yes be our yes and our no be our no is to shut our mouths and only speak when we've let it run through the filter of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and what we say we know is going to be true. Hey, one thing we taught our kids long, long time ago is when we say something, we mean it. Now, I'm not making a judgment on some of you who might be parenting differently or have parented differently, but when our kids were little, you can ask them, we didn't count, to, well, we did count to three. But if we got to one, one meant one spanking, two meant two spankings, three meant you better go live somewhere else for a week. Why? Because we wanted our kids to know we meant it when we said it, not when we got to three. And so that's important, by the way, if your kid is about to run out into the street in front of a truck and they've been trained, mom and dad really don't mean what they say until they get to three. And so because of that, we strove to let our kids know if we say we'll do it, we're going to do it. By the way, that makes you have to be real, real careful about what kind of threat you make to your child. If you don't stop that, I'm going to rip your arm off and beat you with it. You ever heard parents do that? Well, guess what? Pretty soon the kids go, that ain't going to happen. And folks, we need to be known as people that what we say, we mean and will do. I strive to be like that when I say I'm going to be there at some time. Then we're going to be there at that time. We're going to start at 7. We're going to start at 7. We're going to finish at 8. We're going to finish at 8. I want you to know that if Jim said it, you can count on it. Now, folks, I'm not perfect in this. But I tell you one thing. The thing that will keep me from falling into sin is I'm not going to try to say, well, I really mean it this time. And I swear to you, I'm really going to do it. You see what I'm saying? That's what Jesus was saying. Stop putting your confidence in swearing an oath to try to convince people. If you actually tell the truth all the time, you don't need to swear an oath. But God does because he means what he says and he cannot lie. And therefore, that's why he does. So under oath, when he's asked, what do you got to say? Are you the Christ? Well, I love how Mark brought it out. What did Mark say? You remember how he worded it? I am. Don't miss that. I am. But then we even see in Matthew's account, go back to Matthew 26, he then also adds something to it. Now the high priest, verse 63, had adjured him by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, you have said so. Mark tells us that he actually said, I am. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, most of you probably don't know what he just said, unless you knew your Old Testament. Again, if you know your Old Testament, that would have jumped off the page at you. Go with me to Psalm 110. Again, look at what Jesus says as you turn to Psalm 110. He said, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Psalm 110, look at verse 1.
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, this is a passage that Jesus refers to when he's talking to um, the Jews. And he says to him, who is David talking about? If he says, my Lord said to my Lord. He had been talking about someone greater than himself. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my where? Right hand. That's the seat of power, by the way. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Now jump over to Daniel chapter 7. And look at verses 13 and 14. Can't wait for our study of Daniel coming up. Daniel says, And I saw in verse 13 of chapter 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Where did Daniel see this happening? In verse 13, in the night visions, and behold, with what? The clouds of heaven. I saw this one like the Son of Man, and he approached the Ancient of Days, the Father himself, and he was given a kingdom. Jesus said to him, not only am I the Christ, when you'll see me again, is when I come, well, I'm going to be at the right hand of the power of God, and I'm going to be coming in the clouds of heaven. And if you knew your Old Testament, you knew that he just said, I'm not only the Christ, I'm God. Well, of course, they weren't going to accept that. And they actually, the high priest tore his robes. And if you do a study of the Old Testament, we don't have time to get into that. The high priest wasn't even allowed to tear his robes. But he tore his robes. And he said, we've heard this blasphemy. He's claimed to be God. Guys, what else do you think? What else do we need to hear? What'd they say? He needs to be put to death. Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Jesus just made a statement, though, where he says, not only am I the Christ, I'm going to be coming, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of power, and I'm going to be coming on the clouds of heaven. And do you realize how they just totally rejected that statement? It didn't even cause them to fear a little bit. Now, Pilate's own wife came to Pilate and said, look, have nothing to do with this man, because I had a dream last night about him, and I'm telling you, scared me. Stay away. But these men who heard God himself say, I'm God, and I have the authority and the power, and I'm going to come back and rule and reign, they weren't even the least bit bothered by it. Go to Psalm 36. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 4. Some of you are still shocked by the wickedness in this world. Some of you are still amazed at what's going on. Let me say something to you, folks. What does the Bible say about the heart of man, according to Jeremiah? It's deceitful and beyond cure, beyond all. It's wicked, correct? All right. So if there are people out there that don't have Christ within them and don't have the Spirit of God controlling them, what is going to be the root of everything they do? It's going to be evil and wickedness. Okay, hang on a second. What if we make a government where the people can govern themselves? Where do you think it's going to end up? 
Now, it's been a wonderful thing for a while because at the time it was started, there were biblical principles and there was a, a, an, an attitude toward things of God. And they were looking to God for their guidance and their wisdom. And they prayed and they sought the Lord and they sought his word. But over time, what the Bible says is going to happen, happened here in America as well. Just like it did in Rome, just like it did in Greece, just like it's done in all these major, uh, over time in history, nations that have been in power and world power. Folks, we shouldn't be surprised at what's going on. You shouldn't be like, I can't believe they're doing that. Listen to Psalm 36. Yeah. At the end of the thousand year reign, they're still going to go after to fight against them. It's exactly because those who are going to come against them are still going to have that sinful flesh. Listen to Psalm 36, 1 through 4. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Actually, if you go and read through the Psalms, and I've been on my radio program on Saturdays going through the book of Psalms and doing challenges every, every Saturday from Psalms. As I am in chapter 50-something now, as I've been doing this for many years on Saturdays only, one thing that's been coming off the page at me is how many times David is saying, God, all the people around me are plotting evil against me. They're trying to kill me. They're all against me. But David every time then says, but my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you, Lord. And folks, you need to understand that we are living in a time in which the Bible says wickedness is going to increase. But we're going, I can't believe what's happening. Can you believe they acted like that? Can you believe? We need to do something. We need to stop it. You're not going to stop it. But you can probably slow it down in the areas that God wants you to be slowing it down. Why don't you start in your house? How many a preacher and spend all his time trying to save the world or fix the church, and his own family fell apart. Why don't you allow God to begin to work with you where you are, and if he wants to expand your tents and increase your ministry, he'll do that in time. But don't think bigger is better. Better is better. Not always bigger is better. Actually, Jesus said, wide is the path that goes to destruction, and many go that way. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. I'd rather be on the narrow road, the smaller path. Now, by the way, we have to also be careful as we look at the wickedness of evil in around us and never lose sight of the fact that Scripture says we all were this way at one time before God opened our eyes. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, look at verses 9 through 18. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats is an open, or an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like what we just read in Psalm 36. Actually, that's one of the many places he's quoting from in the Old Testament. 
Again, Christians, don't fall into this mindset of thinking, well, I would never be like that. Yes, you would. I can tell you right now, there are things that you still do as a Christian, things you think, things you look at, things you say when others aren't around, that you'd be absolutely mortified if anybody else knew about it. And you've been born again. Imagine what you'd be like if you didn't have Christ within you, convicting you and keeping you. Folks, love the people in the world who are out to get you and to take your country or whatever it is you think. Love them. Don't see them as the enemy. We don't battle against flesh and blood. Actually, humans, like I've shared with you before, are a pawn on a time, a time in history has been going on all along in a battle that's been raging before time began between Satan and God. But God has said, if I will find some people that are willing to humble themselves and allow me to use them for my purposes, and they'll submit to the role that I have for them, and they'll put their faith in me and what I've done for them through my son, and if they won't live for this life but live for the life to come, one day I will reward them for eternity in ways they can't even fathom or imagine. But if they live for this life, well... They're going to just enjoy what they get in this life, and that's it. Folks, I'm not living for here. Again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I thank God that I've been born in America. I'm proud to be an American. Yet at the same time, my hope is not in America. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to take care of me. And when the judgment comes, by his righteousness, I'll be spared like Noah, Daniel, and Job. But if the judgment's coming on our nation, it's coming. And the scripture has said that it will. God's word is sure. God's word is true. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. And it doesn't matter how strongly you feel differently or how many people you mobilize on social media to get it stopped. So they decide that Jesus is to be put to death. That's what I wrote in my notes. You want to know what I wrote in my notes right after that? I wrote, so they decide that Jesus is to be put to death. Anybody want to take a guess what I wrote next in big letters? Too late. Too late. God already planned it before the creation of the world. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 19 and 20. Ah, we'll go back to verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. You know, the Bible says very clearly that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. He was, I thought it happened in the middle of history, yes, but it was already planned by God before the foundation of the world. It was already put in motion. Acts chapter 2, look at Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching under the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, verses 22 and 23. Look at what Peter says here. Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then, of course, God raised him from the dead. So did this happen because man decided he was going to die? No. 
This was all predetermined by God. Now, don't miss this, though. These men were still very, very accountable for their choice and their decision. Remember how Jesus, and we're not going to go back there, but in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about how sin is going to come into this world, but woe to him through whose sin comes. And then he talks about Judas and said, be better if he had never been born. You still will be held accountable for the decisions you make. But don't think for a second that man is actually making these decisions on their own. These are all things that God has seen before the beginning of time, and he knows that it's all going to play out. That's why he can tell Peter, who thinks he's never going to deny him, he can say, actually, you're going to deny you know me three times. How does he know this? Because he's already seen it all. That's hard for us to grasp. But God is that powerful. He's outside of time. And even before time began, he saw how it all was going to play out. Does that remove man's responsibility? No, it does not remove man's responsibility. I had a man say to me years ago, but Jim, if God knows what tie I'm going to put on tomorrow, I really don't have a choice. No, you really do. So make the right choice. God already knows what choice you're going to make, but you better make the right choice. And actually, God is forever saying to us, listen to me. You choose who you're going to serve. Don't go down this road. Go down this road. Trust me. Believe that my word is true. Make the right choice. But when we make the choice, he says, knew you're going to do it. Does that remove your responsibility? No. Does it remove these men's responsibility? Not at all. But don't think that they're all of a sudden plotting to take Jesus' life. Father already planned that. Now, Peter has been following him since the arrest in the garden. But according to Matthew 26, verse 58, in Mark chapter 14, verse 54, how has he been following him? At a distance. Now, here's what I'm going to close in the time we have left tonight. Peter's been following Jesus at a distance to watch what happens to him. Beware of following Jesus from a distance, folks. We need the daily, intimate, abiding relationship. When we follow at a distance, we tend to fall into sin. Because as we've already heard, apart from him, we can do nothing. Here we see Peter doing exactly what Jesus said he would do just a few hours earlier. And not only that... We see him swear an oath. Go back to Matthew 26, starting verse 69. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came up to him and said, You were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out into the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. By the way, when he said, I don't know what you're talking about, was he lying? But they wouldn't believe him. So he better swear an oath. So they'll believe him in his lie. And again, verse 72, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Of course, later on, again, a third time, just like Jesus said he doesn't know him. We can probably trace this mess that Peter's in back to the garden. Does anybody know how we can trace it back to the garden? He was sleeping when Jesus said he should have been what? Praying. Go back to Matthew 26. Look at verses 40 and 41. Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, did you catch that? There were three disciples there sleeping there with Jesus. A lot of them were, but the, in this extra area further on that they were with, was Peter, James, and John. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, 
So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, this is where it gets really deep. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you'll not sleep right now and you will pray, you won't fall into temptation. And the things that I've already said to you won't happen, but they're going to happen. You know why? Because I know what you're going to do. But that doesn't remove the truth that if you watch and you pray, you won't fall into temptation. But instead of praying when they needed to, especially Peter, they slept. Now, please listen to me. Sleep is good. Sleep is necessary. One of my favorite passages of scripture is where God tells Elijah twice, twice, sleep and eat. Probably need to get that one cross-stitched or something and put on the wall. I love that verse, sleep and eat. Actually, Jesus himself was asleep in the boat, wasn't he? Sleep is not a bad thing. But prayer is also necessary. And dependence on God in our battle against Satan is necessary. And folks, even though we're born again, even though we've been made new, even though we have Jesus within us, he never forces himself. He's always waiting on us to say no to our flesh and yes to the spirit. That's why fasting is valuable. It teaches you to say no to your flesh and yes to the spirit. That's why the Bible teaches us times to take times of fasting and prayer. And it's just a practice of saying no to your flesh and yes to the spirit. Is eating a bad thing? No. Is sleeping a bad thing? No. But there are going to be times that you need to learn so that you will actually live a life of power. Learn how to say no to your flesh because one of the evidences of the spirit is self-control. If you don't have any self-control, how much control of the spirit do you know? Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, how serious this is. And we're going to hit these last three passages real fast. So you're out of here by 8 because my yes is yes and my no is no. But we start at 7.01, so you're going to get out at 8 o'clock. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verses 10 and following. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. These humans out there are not our enemies, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. By the way, do you realize who you're really fighting? Do you think you can win on your own? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Why do we need to keep alert with all perseverance? Why do we have to do that? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And also this enemy, go to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 through 11. Be sober-minded. 
Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. Did you catch that? And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. One last passage. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit who's willing. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it if you let him. If you let him. How do you let him? You live a life of prayer. Rejoicing. Eyes on him. Dependence on the Lord. And so folks, my encouragement to you is this. We live in a day in which the Bible said everything that's happening is right on schedule. When we get to our study of Daniel, I'll be able to lay out for you very specific things that are happening on the globe that, are hap- that line up with prophecies of the Old Testament to show you where we are in God's timetable. T- time Can't wait to show that to you. But until then, don't put your hope in anything but Jesus Christ and his kingdom, not your position or your nation. I love you. Thanks for coming.